Today's show is sponsored by BMC, and BMC wants to know, is your business on its A-game? The A-game is when systems are intelligent by learning from markets, where automation is paramount yet effortless, and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A-game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com A-game. That's bmc.com A-game. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to The Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well. We continue to roll along here in January of 2021. Um... We are just going to jump right into Cloud News of the Week. We know there's a lot going on in the world. We've still got a raging pandemic, and we've got some uh, things going on in the the political spectrum. We're not going to hit on those today. I think you probably uh, all are well aware of what's going on. But let's talk about Cloud News of the Week because, you know, a lot of times the year starts off slowly. We have got a lot to talk about, actually a lot of announcements, a lot of of activity. So let's jump right into it. Kong, a company who has uh, done quite a bit around uh, both API gateways and service mesh and is really kind of... Uh, you know, right in the middle of the new cloud native application development uh, paradigms, raised $93 million. So new round of funding for them. Uh, $93 million. So big round of funding for Kong, who uh, is both, like I said, in the API gateway business, also in the service mesh business, and uh, really kind of, uh, you know, getting a lot of attention in terms of uh, helping people build distributed applications. Second are a couple of acquisitions that happened. Uh, first is Red Hat acquired StackRox, who is in the cloud-native Kubernetes security space. Uh, this is going to add to Red Hat's OpenShift platform, so uh, a platform that's you know already done very well in the enterprise Kubernetes space and uh, hybrid and multi-cloud space, add StackRox's uh, more advanced sort of DevSecOps uh, security technology to that platform. And also F5 acquired Volterra for $500 million. Uh, Volterra, uh, another in the security space, API gateway space, uh, network uh, security space. So big acquisition for F5. So a couple of big rounds of funding, a couple of uh, big acquisitions happening. So a lot, you know, big kickoff for 2021. Um, We're going to go ahead and jump into, uh, right after the break, we're going to start talking about another one of our cloud uh, look-aheads for 2021. This time we're going to talk about a topic that we've kind of scratched the surface on a little bit but never really dove into. We're going to dive into uh, event-driven application development and also flows and all the things surrounding uh, more real-time types of applications. This applies to a whole lot of things, streaming applications, IoT, and so forth. So really looking forward to that after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog a real-time monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and distributed request traces from your cloud containers and orchestration software. Track the health and performance of your dynamic containers, apps, and services with rich visualizations and machine learning-driven events. Datadog's cluster agent streamlines data collection from large container clusters and allows you to auto-scale Kubernetes workloads based on any metric you're already collecting with Datadog. To start monitoring your container clusters, sign up for a free trial today and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit datadog.com slash cloudcast to get started. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. Today's show is sponsored by Okta. In these challenging times, we're all looking for simplicity, something that just works. The last thing you want to do is spend time building authentication for your new curbside pickup app. Because if you're spending time building your own authentication systems, it's time spent not making your customers happy. This is where Okta makes it simple. Okta's cloud-based authentication services are easy to set up, and they already integrate with the tools and applications you use today. 
Okta is trusted by companies like HPE, Splunk, CarMax, GitLab, and Cengage, plus many, many more. To take the hassle out of your authentication needs, visit okta.com cloud and learn how to get started today. That's okta.com cloud. And we're back. And folks, as we've been doing here at the beginning of the year, and, and we did last year to sort of, uh, you know, great feedback from all of you, we're going to continue to to do some of our kind of forward-looking shows, what we call our look-ahead shows for 2021. And one of the topics that I know Aaron and I have been, you know, kind of talking about loosely hinting at in, in various previous shows last year was this concept of, of event-driven. And, you know, there's a lot of technologies that go around that, whether it's, you know, Kafka and streaming and serverless and a lot of other things. IoT comes into play. And, you know, one of the things we love to do is go find folks that are really uh, into this space, really smart in this space. And we're excited to have a guest who's been a longtime friend of the show. And not only that, has just recently written a, uh, a very, very good book by O'Reilly about this stuff. So very excited to have an uh, old friend of the show, James Urquhart, who is global field CTO for VMware, but also just friend of the Cloudcast. James, welcome to the show. Great to have you back on. Well, thanks, Brian. I appreciate being here for sure. It's always good to be a part of the show, and uh, I'm really excited to talk about uh, the adventure of an architecture. Yeah, so so we've known you for a long time. Um, you and I actually briefly worked together at Cisco. God, it feels like almost a decade ago. You've gone on to to do a lot of very cool things, some startup stuff, some stuff at AWS, and and what you did, you know, at Pivotal and VMware. But I've always known you as the guy who loved getting into you know, kind of complex systems, distributed systems, give folks a sense of sort of what got you excited about um, really digging into this whole event-driven distributed space over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think you kind of hinted at the core of it for me. So I've been a distributed systems practitioner and buff, um, for lack of a better term, really interesting interested in, in the building and operation of large-scale distributed systems for a very long time. Um, in the late 1990s, I worked for a company called Forte Software that uh, um, was a 4GL development environment that, that did some of the, at the time, larger-scale systems um, that were out there. This is back when, you know, having uh, 10,000 users and 100 or 200 concurrent users was like a really hard thing to achieve. Um, but uh, you know, we helped. Uh, we helped in some ways uh, at Forte to, to push some of the patterns a little bit um, more broadly among enterprise developers at the time. Um, and from there, I've done a you know huge range of different roles. But um, but uh, at one point, I read a book about complex adaptive systems or complex systems in general, um, and it was just an eye opener for me. The fact that scientists have been discovering for decades now that uh, among all these different fields that we study, there are certain systems that reach a point where they have very, very similar properties in terms of um, how they organize, in terms of uh, how emergent behaviors occur, what the problems are in trying to predict anything about them, what the problems are in trying to predict anything about their shape or even observe them. Um, which sounded to me very, very much like maybe not at the time any given enterprises to distributed systems, but certainly the internet. And as we became more and more integrated, which is a key part of the topic we'll talk about today, as systems became more and more integrated across organization boundaries, then I found myself more and more interested in how our economy, the automation of our economy through business software, um, was being driven by 
complex adaptive systems type behaviors. Um, and there's a myriad of them that we can talk about, but, um, but uh, so, you know, it, and it served me well. I, you know, I have to say for folks that may not spend a lot of time thinking about complex systems or what that means or what the, what, you know, scientists have discovered about these systems and how they measure um, I have to say that uh, you should spend some time on it because the observations and the ways of thinking about how uh, system, you know, how to organize, how systems organize, what you can and cannot do in terms of managing systems uh, has really uh, turned out to be very valuable in, in terms of my own career, in terms of the advice that I give uh, our customers and clients as well. Yeah, and we're going to we're going to dig into a little bit of that. So let's. Let's kind of start at the beginning for anybody that's not super familiar with this concept of event-driven and, and flows and, and kind of the basics around it. Like, where did it come from? You know, what does it do? And, and ultimately, like, why is it important for people building, you know, important applications, right? Things that, that drive our economy, drive people's business. Right. So at, at the highest possible level, the space that we're talking about is really – uh, around real-time communication of things that are happening from uh, from one independent entity to another independent entity. And so an event at its very simplest definition um, is really a, a, a communication signal describing a state change. Um, and that could be the creation of new state, that could be the change to an existing piece of state. Um, but it's basically something that says, hey, you know, the temperature um, changed by some some delta or there's a new, um, you know, there's a new speed that's being read from the front wheels of your car or, um, uh, you know, any number of other things. And, and so it's the core of what event driven systems are is really around real time state awareness and real time situational awareness around state change. Um, so. The concept of event-driven systems have been around for a long time, right? The first messaging systems that were uh, out there in the 1990s that were used by financial services companies and, and others to, uh, to manage large amounts of traffic being communicated between systems, um, you know, the first set of that stuff was really about event communication. We call them messages. Um, there are messages that are used now that aren't so much about state change. Um, so, uh, messaging has been sort of brighter, but the first messages that really mattered were about state change. And, um, so this isn't, you know, a new event driven architectures aren't a new concept in their entirety, but what is new is that we are understanding and developing the scale and the capability of processing to handle massively large streams, um, in timeframes that work for having near real-time understanding and visibility of what's going on with the system um, and being able to find the right thing to query for the right information at the right time, right? So, so whereas before, maybe if we knew that A needed to talk to B, we could set up that message connection and we could deal with that. And then messaging systems let us say, well, we know that A needs to publish to a topic and B needs to subscribe to that topic. So that's all great. So we can build a fairly static architecture that uses that communication system. But now the internet itself just means that there are many, many applications out there where you don't know when clients are gonna connect or disconnect or even data sources are gonna connect and disconnect. So we're seeing um, this sort of uh, ability now for systems to handle not only the flow of 
of information and the processing of information through a stream, but also the connections and deconnections to the consumption of that stream at very, very large scales, at scales that really begin to change the story for things um, that have been in, in, done in business either by human action or by batch processing for a very long time. Yeah. And so that ability to see things in real time, I'll give you a quick story that kind of shows the impact of this. Um, so when I, I worked at a company called Sosta that was acquired later by Akamai um, that did uh, real-time um, performance monitoring, so real user monitoring of browser interactions and the performance of browser interactions with customers. Mm -hmm. So RUM or real user management is really about collecting data from every browser interaction um, and every single load of every single element on a page in that interaction, collecting all that information and then storing it so that it can be analyzed as, as sort of a group uh, with all the other interactions um, and used to debug problems. But, um, but if you think about it, so, you know, we, our customers included some of the largest media companies out there. And if you think about it, the volume of traffic that represents, especially when something huge happens, um, and it was media and retail, you know, it's a big sale, Black Friday's going on, or there's a big news event, or um, there's a big entertainment event going on. Um, that's a massive amount of traffic that has to be processed. And what traditionally would happen um, uh, in, say, the retail space is uh, people would say, okay, well, we're going to do a campaign, and uh, we're going to have our campaign tell, say, Google Analytics or or some other system that we're using, maybe Adobe, um, have the sense of information specifically about the campaign. And then 24 hours after the campaign is done, we'll get our reports that tell us what all that information told us. Right? So we can't do anything about the campaign while the campaign's running, but we can learn about the campaign after it's done. The big change um, that happened with Sosta was that we began to say, hey, you know, all that performance data we're capturing from the browser it also tells us about navigation. It tells us about time spent on a page. You know, it tells us a whole bunch of useful information for measuring campaigns. So we started to provide dashboards that did correlation overlays between um, things like page performance and conversion rates, um, or uh, you know, a number of other things that were kind of related more. And and all of a sudden, marketing people could see, hey, you know, we've got a problem in this page and maybe, you know, maybe the button's not in an obvious place or there's something that's not working as well for here as we want it to. Let's try a change and put it out there while the campaign's still running and observe what's happening within, you know, within seconds or minutes of, uh, of that change. And that was huge. I mean, we had marketing people standing down in the, um, in the web operations centers of the IT department saying, can we get some of our people some desks in front of these screens so that they can see what's going on? Um, and so that real time effect is really what's going to drive event driven architectures because it's, you know, again, it's about being able to process these state changes as they come through and making them um, readily available and powerful. So the concept of flow that my book is about then is the concept of what happens when the interfaces and protocols to connect to a stream of real-time data, of, of event data. Um, what happens when those interfaces protocols become so standard that people can just point uh, you know, a standard library at a stream and then instantly begin to process that, the information that's sent from the other side? 
Um, if it's as easy to use as HTTP is today in our, all the software systems that we run, what happens when it becomes that simple? Yeah. And oh. so, um, and that's really, you know, that's kind of the core, that's, that's kind of the core idea of flow with relation to event driven architect. Interesting. Yeah, no. And I, I mean, there was a lot going on that I was, you know, as I was listening to you go through, there was a lot of things that sort of jumped to mind, right? There's, uh, you know, it sounds like, you know, this is, Part of it, part of this is, you know, kind of an evolution of, of things like batch. In that we used to think of, I can't process, you know, I have this thing I have to do a lot of, um, but I can't process it in real time. So I have to think about it as sort of a, you know, later on I'll process it. It's not a big deal. We're we're now sort of inclined as a as a culture to expect things in in more real time, right? So there's a part of it right. that's an evolution of that. Um, you know, there's a part of this that that feels like. Um, you know, I know we've talked about this concept before on the show. It may have been a while like this um, OODA or ODO loop where, you know, you're making adjustments on the fly in real time. You're looking at what uh, your, your adversary is doing or the market is doing and being able to to adapt to that in real time. It feels like there's a piece of that built into here. And then the other piece um, that that I think is part of flows, but but maybe I'm mistaken, is like there's also this concept that not it doesn't all have to be real time. Like there's a piece of this could be, what if I want to replay this because I want to prepare for the mm -hmm. next campaign? And um, so there's a lot of interesting elements of this that are, like you said, they're not completely new concepts, but you know, the underlying technologies, the ability to process stuff has evolved such that we can now think about it in new ways. Yeah, I think you're absolutely um, right. I mean, one of the things that uh, in the, the, one of the chapters of the book towards the last chapter is about sort of, um, picking apart what you can do today to prepare for this future with where connecting to streams is super simple and cheap to do. And uh, a big part of that is choosing what form of stream processing you want to do, right? And so to your point, there are forms of stream processing where memory is incredibly important, where the ability to go back and replay is something that's really, really valuable. There are um, there are forms of processing that, that are frankly, they, they don't scale as well, but they're frankly two-way conversations between two entities that have to, to know about each other and, and know how to communicate with each other. Um, and there's and then there's the, the other, you know, far end extremes are really sort of some of the things you're starting to see with things like uh, uh, Swim.ai and some of the other end memory processing stuff that can happen out there where you can just build a full digital twin model of your environment, of a very large scale environment, um, and be able to um, apply a number of, of uh, basically um, adaptive reasoning technology to how those agents interact with each other and, and what actions they take when they see certain state changes happening in their neighbors or in their, you know, in systems that they're tending to or whatever it may be. And, you know, I'm told of systems now where like, you know, entire self major cell phone network companies have every single cell phone uh, on every single end, every single tower and every single, you know, uh, transmitter and receiver involved in their network modeled in a single model in a way that they can very quickly understand and affect um, uh, the ways that these systems work with each other and, and, and find and, and identify uh, potential issues well before they become something that's noticeable by the end customer. Um, and so that kind of processing where you know the state of your system, of a large scale system, you know, very, very quickly in memory, um, doesn't tend to go back and look at the past as much, but it's, it's super duper powerful, right? And in, in being able to build, say, AI 
um, uh, rule sets that the agents can use that can very quickly kind of determine what do I do if I see pattern X occur in, you know, at a given time. And, um, you know, another good example of that is, is like traffic um, management systems in a, in a large city. How do you make sure the intersections are actually fairly optimal in the way that they're, they're allowing traffic through those intersections? And you can, you can build some really powerful um technologies around that that were not possible and frankly you know when you were just looking at uh you know each you know each action is is a is a data stream is a series of steps that the data has to go through from beginning to end to get to an end outcome right this is something where the system sort of builds an emergent behavior out of the behavior of the agents underneath um so it's really it's it's a broad set of stuff that's out there, um, and you know there, I have a model that um, Clemens uh, Vasters, who's uh, uh, sort of the chief cloud or, uh, chief uh, messaging services architect at, at Microsoft Azure. Um, I don't, I'm sure that's not his official title, but it's it, that's what he does, and uh, and he sort of stepped me through a model about why you know why does Microsoft have four different messaging slash event processing engines available services. And, and there's a decision tree that he stepped me through that makes total sense um, that says, you know, if this is the case, then you should use A. If not, then then you evaluate the next question and, and you know, that gives you another choice or you evaluate another question. And, and, uh, and the end result is that uh, um, there'll be many technologies that are part of this and there will be many uses of these technologies that will be yeah. part of it. Yeah, it's a little, I mean, it's a little bit like, you know, we went from, you know, almost ex exclusively having relational databases to now, you know, people are picking and choosing from eight, 10 different types of things. And it, it sounds like it applies to, this, yep. to the same. Let, let me, let me do this because there's always, there's always folks that are, you know, kind of tune in because they want to learn about what's new. And then there's part of it that's like, okay, what, you know, how would I actually do this? Can you, can you? You just sent look. Look, there isn't one stack, you know, technology stack that accomplishes all this. But like, can you kind of walk me through for, you know, kind of a, a given example, like what parts of the technology stack we're talking about? I mean, I, you know, is it is is mm -hmm. Kafka kind mm -hmm. of predominant? Is it Nats? Is it other like what are what are you seeing kind of commonly used in a typical stack? Yeah, well, it's it's sort of an all of uh, you know all of the above um, in in some sense, but so. Um, so in order to kind of make the case that I'm making about these flow interfaces, um, I did a lot of work um, uh, with, so with something called Wardly Mapping, which I'm sure the show has covered at, at some point in time, and, uh, and Promise Theory, which is uh, a really uh, brilliant sort of um, uh, algebra for cooperation um, uh, in disparate distributed systems. And, um, and so... Uh, and using the two together, I was able, able to kind of identify, for the purposes of the book, um, a set of 14 components that were, I argue, are the, are the makeup of what's needed for this flow concept, for this, uh, this concept of these standard interfaces and everybody, you know, easily connecting to event streams uh, to come to fruition. And uh, the key ones, the critical ones are... Um, are sinks and our sources and sinks, right? So sources of data that generate new events, sinks, which are sort of final resting places that uh, events will go uh, in one way or another that sort of terminate a stream. And then in between, um, uh, really the need for um, the connection itself, the ability, you know, the, basically the ability to uh, establish a connection with 
uh, between a producer and a consumer or, uh, or an underlying set of agents working on behalf of the producer and the consumer. And then, um, and then the processing and the queuing that's necessary in order for a flow to be maintained without having uh, either overwhelming consumers with with flow uh, with information and losing data that way, or um, or losing memory if memory is important to you, right? Losing a, the history of events that have occurred if that's important to you. And so, um, so processors, queues, sources, syncs, and the connection are really the baseline of what makes up a flow environment. So in the processor section, in the queue section, um, you know, I would say that the, the kind of the real big players right now are, um, in general, are sort of the message queue and message bus folks um, are, are sort of the place that people go to when they think about event processing, but the but the major cloud providers have come in and disrupted that completely. So where you see the more modern applications being built um, are um, are largely um, you know Amazon, Microsoft, and Google with the sets of services they have for the different use cases that are readily available to be consumed on demand. Um, Kafka is an important exception to that, meaning they are also a major player, absolutely in the space. Um, I think, um, and I, you know, just kind of throw out there that um, I think there's a danger with Kafka right now that people are attempting to put types of processing um, and do types of processing with Kafka that would be better served by a different model. Um, but I think that will sort itself out as the market and other areas grow. Um, and I think, um, so I think that's a fairly sophisticated, and then you've got this sort of growth of a combination of, um, function as a service, things like Lambda, um, and even, um, step functions, uh, another AWS service that does more of a process oriented, um, view of, of how to handle an event. And then, um, um, so you, you've got those kinds of things. And, and then also sort of the low code, no code space is starting to have some event specific technologies that are out there. Um, Vantic is one that stands out um, for me uh, fairly quickly as something that allows you to kind of put together processing for a flow without having to write a ton of code um, and does very sophisticated things like has a, you know, it gives you the ability to have a directory of available streams that your developers can go uh, uh, figure out what to connect to and what the, you know, what are the volumes of traffic they can expect? What are the, um, you know, what are the te uh, technologies, the security technologies, encryption technologies involved and so on. And then, uh, and then the last category is this sort of digital twin model stuff that I talked about earlier mm -hmm. as well. So swim.ai, I, I think stands out for me, but I'm, I'm starting to hear about other technologies that are out there. They're, they're trying to play in the same space. Many of them are a little bit more, data stream processing as opposed to digital twin models, but they're close. They're not very far away from that model set. Yeah. Um, well, and and, that and so that's again. kind of the baseline of, of those technologies that are in the processing and queuing space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, and the Swim AI, I think, shouldn't surprise anybody. Simon's Simon's brilliant, always surrounds himself with, with very, very smart people. So, um, yeah, no, that's, it's interesting. And, and, and I know you and I were talking, you know, ahead of time, you know, a lot of this stuff, some of it, the the pieces are more mature or they're you know they're they're maturing fairly mature and then like you said there's you know there's going to be a whole ecosystem of of sort of new interfaces and protocols that um you know as things move to the edge become lower lower power processing things you know you always get a whole lot of adaptation that has to happen um you know to that what you do in the cloud or what you do on 
you know, sort of high bandwidth links or high processing devices is going to be different than if you have, you know, a different set of, of devices that just have different characteristics. You may have to mm-hmm. create different mm-hmm. security model, different, uh, you know, communication protocols, different frequency at which they can process stuff and everything. Um, so I, I'm curious. So, you know, we, we've, we've scratched the service a little bit on the tech, um, kind of what it is, you know, where it's going. As, as you talk to business leaders, like, Sometimes when, when I find that when I talk to new, uh, you know, I talk to business leaders about, about new stuff, you kind of have to boil it down to something simple, right? So like, you know, cloud-made IT sort of self-service, um, serverless came along years later and, and sort of said, hey, you don't really have to think about operations anymore. It's sort of built in. Like, w- what do you find is, is sort of the elevator pitch that you might make to a, a business executive as to why this event driven flow based stuff is is really important and and you know significant change. Yeah, it's it's two elements. One is the real time story, right? So yep. so get rid of overnight batch processing of stuff where if you had the information that day you could actually take advantage of it and and do more, right? So that's one piece of it for sure. Um but I said the other part of it too is is uh, I did a blog post more than 10 years ago now um, about the kind of contrasting um, composable systems with um, contextual systems. So I'll start with sort of the contextual systems are systems that the, the, the platform defines the process by which things happen and then provides mechanisms where you can plug in your specific decision, you know, your specific um customization at specific points in that overall flow and process. So it says, this is step one, step two, step three. And then you can say, okay, this is what I want to do in step one. This is what I want to do at step two. But the platform defines how the information flows through all those different steps that are going to happen. Contextual systems are a little bit more like the Linux command line Mm -hmm. and piping, where you have a bunch of small components that do certain things very, very well. And you're able to um, string them together in a myriad of different ways and pass consistent information, you know, in between in a way that each component knows how to process the input that comes in. Um, Even if it's blind to the meaning of that input, it knows how to process it and then it knows how to output it so that it can be consumed by the next thing that you chain together. And so the other piece of this to me that I think is really important is uh, is that ability to say let's you know we are able to now sort of say let's stack the next thing on the chain um, without having to revise and mod- you know and modify the application the components that are earlier in the chain that we can actually take pre-built elements and and decide how to put them together and when I say pre-built it could be something that's custom within a certain organization it could be I believe uh, a growing market of services and capabilities that will um, be built on top of flow that will enable for crazy levels of new um, uh, of new processing, uh, you know, to imagine this right right now when when people outsource something in the business, they usually outsource an entire process, right? They right. usually outsource, you know, uh, HR payroll, they outsource, uh, you know, in, in manufacturing, you may you may outsource the uh, um, the the design confirmation portion of your say you have a printing shop or a printed circuit board shop or something. Um, Imagine if you could actually just outsource the specific commodity steps of a process while maintaining the process 
and and running the process yourself. So that uh, in you know instead of outsourcing all of payroll and and sort of handing off massive lots of information to somebody who you have to adapt to their process as they go, you could say you know what. I want to outsource uh, the tax um, verification steps. I want to outsource, uh, obviously, the the you know the, the the financial portion of it, the printing of the checks. But I want to keep in house, um, perhaps, the ability to uh, uh, you know to generate some content that gets added to um, the the pay envelope or or to the you know to the uh, is sent alongside when uh, the email that's sent whenever a direct deposit happens or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that, uh, that ability to sort of begin to compose in a new way and in a more agile way is a big piece. Also being able to include stuff that was too expensive to integrate with in the past yeah. is a really, really big one as well. So I, I do, I do talk a fair amount about like the logistics, industry and the trucking industry and and you know they've been digitizing like crazy they have they they're probably in in some ways farther along in standardizing interfaces than many are but in uh, the reason they are is because they have this huge problem in how do you coordinate you know weather and road traffic and available capacity in the truck and availability of a driver and you know the mechanical condition of the truck how do you coordinate all of that to, to identify an opportunity to serve a customer that has a shipment that they want to take say from Toledo to Jackson you know Jacksonville Florida right, right. um and so, um, so that ability to sort of get that information in real time and be able to beat your competitors at making a decision that gets you the business is really going to be a big, big driver for, for a lot of this. And I think to me, that's the, that, that granularity of um, that, that for the business, for a business, the real value proposition is going to be being able to serve your customers better and even anticipate their needs in, uh, in, and faster and sooner and in more real time situation, um, while the cost of getting access to the information that allows you to do that goes down, yep. and it becomes a much simpler and much cheaper, both from a technology development perspective and from potentially from the cost of the data itself. From the, you know anybody who is charging for access to the data, that those costs will begin to find a market uh, presence that will make that very uh, cost effective. So. Um, that that's what I would say is kind of the key business driver. There's just it's a change from this idea that we have to do very everything very large grain and with a lot of planning on how we integrate with other businesses, um, and uh, where we can proactively say we instead of saying hey we have an API let's go convince people to write to our API, you can very proactively go out there and go hey I just want you know what I want to go get that data, um, if they make it available to me I want to just go ahead and receive it. It doesn't replace APIs. It doesn't replace, I think it replaces very little in what we do today besides batch processing. But it does add a tremendous it. amount of flexibility to how you can, you know, and speed to how quickly you can respond to customer needs and a variety of other factors. Right, right. Um, one last question, I'll let you go because I know we're, we're going to kind of run out of time here a little bit. Um, you know, we've covered a lot of sort of the, you know, why it's important, what is it, um, you know, for anybody who's like, okay, this is, this has really kind of piqued my interest. What are maybe one or two things, maybe technologies or, you know, kind of concepts within this space that, that you're really watching, you know, this year and next year that you think have an opportunity to, you know, really get interesting, really get exciting, uh, really kind of change this landscape? 
Um, yeah, I, one one is um, there, I mean, there's there's a lot going on in ter- in the standards world um, that I think is worth watching. So the the number one thing I always tell people about if you're really interested in flow, go pay attention to the cloud event specification that's um, um, about to reach its. Uh, um, it's been out as version one since last November, and I think they're you know they're very close to getting it sort of a one dot one out if they haven't already done that, um, and it, which is being adopted quickly by um, not only cloud providers, um, although I think AWS is a little slower than than I would have expected them to be, but you see it in, in Azure already, you see it in, in uh, Google Cloud already, you also see it in things like um, uh, you know the CI uh, CN, uh, uh, Kubernetes-friendly CI environment, um, Tecton, you see it, um, you know, a number of other places that are emitting cloud event capability. Um, and I, you know, it's it's not the winner by any means, but it's defined really well for this purpose and it has a good chance. It's basically a metadata standard format uh, to, to so you can describe the context in which a payload describes an event. And uh, and it's uh, so that's one area that I always point to. And another area that I think is really exciting is there are a couple of companies out there that are working on interesting ways of changing the way the internet works to support these kinds of connections. Um, one is uh, uh, so you talked about Nats.io. Derek Collison, one of the creators of Nats.io, has a company um, called Sonadia that uh, is very interestingly kind of putting together a underlying um, infrastructure for. Uh, you know, for either network service providers or, or for others to put to, you know, essentially put together um, a, a simple way to connect to streams globally. Um, so rather than having to have a URL for an endpoint and an API at that endpoint in order to know how to connect and a number of other things, simply um, you connect to, you know, the front end that for the um, for the cloud environment. And you simply say, hey, here's the URI of the stream I want to subscribe to. And the underlying infrastructure figures out what's the closest node that I should connect you to. Um, you know, what are the what are the uh, encryption, decryption things that have and security things that have to ha- happen. Very, very security focused technology that they're putting together. And so, um, so that's what I put together. Um, that you know, that's what I kind of look at um, as sort of two companies that stand out to me as being really interesting. But if you really want to um, to understand and help drive forward what's going on with um, with event-driven systems, so that this flow kind of concept can come to fruition, um, you know, I definitely I definitely think that uh, open source communities, uh, Kafka not, is not the only one by any means. Uh, a number of open source communities plus some of the standards bodies are slowly starting to show that there's there's some ideas taking shape here, and it's worth looking at those. Um, and one last thing I'll say about that is also if you're in an you know in an industry association of some sort, one of the hardest problems in this flow problem is that the payload formats um, are going to have to be um, are also going to have to be standardized or should you know are likely to be standardized in order to make them simpler to consume for very common transactions within a given industry, right? So my guess is that much like the way EDI worked, much the way that financial services exchange uh, protocols worked, um, we're going to find that um, industries are going to come together and define data. Um, Formats that work really well as, say, a cloud event pay, uh, payload or as you know a, an MQTT payload or whatever it may be, 
um, so that uh, so that others in the industry can just don't even have to write code in order to be able to process that data. Right? There'll be readily available libraries to make uh, to make handling that data, or even applications to make handling that data easily. So, you know, that's another area where people can get involved now. Is just saying, look, are we prepared for an event-driven future in our industry? What do we need to do to be prepared? to um, exchange information in a timely fashion, right? We don't wanna build up a huge giant document of information every single time, but at the same time um, is also something that we can all uh, understand and, and consume and, and transmit to each other uh, safely and easily. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Lot to uh, lot to chew on there, folks. Uh, you know, just a couple of other things I'll throw in there. We've had uh, both Swim AI and Derek Collison on the show in the past. We'll throw uh, we'll throw the link to that in the show notes. James, real quick before I let you go, uh, give a quick plug for the book. Um, I know everything everything I've ever seen you write is incredibly well thought through. So give us give us the name of the book, where people can find it, and probably most importantly, how they can reach out to you if they have questions. Yeah, the title is Flow Architectures, The Future of Event-Driven Integration, uh, published by O'Reilly Publishing. Um, the Kindle version is available on Amazon today. Um, as of the the the, um, the recording of this uh, podcast, and then um, and the print version will be available within the next week or two. Um, and, uh, you know, Amazon's a good place to find it. Uh, O'Reilly's, if you're a O'Reilly subscriber, you can start reading it today on O'Reilly's website as a part of your subscription. Um, and it'll be available pretty much everywhere you can find an O'Reilly book um, uh, within the next uh, few weeks. So I encourage everybody to, you know, if this is an interesting topic to you, please take a look at it. It's meant to drive thought. It's meant to trigger a conversation in the industry and help folks begin to say, you know, there's some adaptation that we could do ahead of time that would give us some advantages in the future. And and I hope uh, folks will take uh, the time to pay attention to that. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff as always, James. It was uh, it was great to catch up with you. It's been far, far too long. Uh, folks, with that, I'm going to wrap up the show for myself and Aaron. I want to thank James for his time today. Um, as always, I want to thank all of you for listening to the show, for uh, telling a friend and sort of spreading the community, helping us grow the show, giving us feedback on on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, everywhere else you listen to the show. So with that, I'm going to thank James for his time, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 